This is episode 11 of the Evangelical Shanaki podcast. My name is Nick Park from Evangelical Alliance Ireland, and for the next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to be sharing about the way that Irish life and culture interacts with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at some of the people who are working for Jesus today, making a difference to the life of our nation. And of course, as always, we begin by looking at the news headlines. And I guess there's one story that has dominated all others in the past week, and that was the death of the broadcaster, Gay Byrne. It's very rare indeed that one man would have such an influence in the, in the change and development of a country because Ireland has gone through such a rapid period of change. Some people have actually said we went from being a traditional nation to being a postmodern nation without even going through modernism in between. And Gay Byrne was part of that very rapid change. And most of the voices that have been speaking about him since his death have put a positive light on that, that he helped our country become a fairer place, become a, become a more compassionate place. Now, others are not so positive about his influence. I've seen some stuff on social media that's very scathing indeed of, of Gay Byrne, mainly because of the way that he opened up to other voices, which therefore broke the uh, dominant voice of the Catholic Church over the nation. Gay Byrne, of course, was a devout Catholic all, all his life. He was a devout Catholic, practiced his faith. But the difference was this, that he didn't see that that meant he had to force his opinion upon others. And he didn't see that that should prevent him from opening up and giving other people a voice as well. He gave a voice through the Late Late Show. He gave a voice to, uh, to, to all kinds of people. He gave a voice to people who were rebelling against the Catholic Church, to people who were atheists, to people who were gay to people who had been hurt and to people like ourselves, like evangelical Christians that maybe wouldn't have had a voice in the public arena in Ireland up to that point. And this really is where Gay Byrne has made, in my view, a very positive difference, is that it's now become acceptable for people like ourselves, evangelical Christians, to share our faith in the public arena without necessarily having to be ridiculed. Even if the majority of the people don't hold the opinion that we have, we still have a right to state it. And this was really exemplified this week in The Late Late Show, whenever one of the successors to Gay Byrne, Ryan Turbody, uh, he was interviewing the Irish hockey team. And the two of the newest members of the Irish hockey team, which are the ladies hockey team, which has, of course, just qualified for the next Olympic Games, two of the newest members of the team were a pair of twins, Serena and Bethany Barr, originally from Northern Ireland. And they are identical twins, so he sort of zeroed in on them. And also, they are committed Christians. And what was very noticeable was that um, Ryan Turbody said to them, he said, what, what's this story about the A1 that you draw on your hand before you go out for a game? And then the girls explained that it, was a, it meant an audience of one, and that what they were doing on the hockey pitch was to the glory of God, that there might be spectators watching, they might, their teammates might be counting on them, but actually they wanted to do their very, very best for an audience of one, for Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, who was watching them. 
Now, what was notable was this. First of all, that they were allowed to say that on, on public television in the way that they did. And not only was it as a, allowed, it was encouraged. It was the presenter himself who actually raised the subject and encouraged them to speak so openly about their faith. And the other thing that was notable about it was the audience that was there. The vast majority of that audience quite obviously did not share Serena and Bethany's faith, but they gave them a respectful hearing. It was understood that this was important to them, and therefore they had a right to speak about it. And you know what, we might take that for granted now, but before Gay Byrne, that would never have happened. And so we see now that Ireland has changed, and yes, it's become more secular, and Gay Byrne did play a big part in that, but that actually gives us more opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you believe that what you are sharing is the truth, and we know that the gospel is the truth, and it's the truth that sets people free, then we don't have to be scared about other voices being heard alongside it, because we know that the gospel has a power to convict people's hearts, no matter what other noises are going on round about. In fact, the only reason you would want to restrict people from hearing messages other than your own would be an insecurity that deep down you don't believe your message is actually strong enough to stand on its own two feet. So I just want to say I'm delighted that we live in a country where people are allowed to share their deeply felt beliefs, even when they're beliefs that we don't agree with. And I'm grateful that now in Ireland we have a platform and an opportunity where people like the Bar Sisters, people like Katie Taylor, can speak publicly and openly about their faith. Long may that continue. And for that... Thank you to Gay Byrne. This week on the Evangelical Shanachie podcast, I am delighted to be joined by Johnny Lindsay. Johnny's known to many of us from Vox magazine. Johnny, of course, uh, Ruth Garvey Williams is, if you like, the uh, the public face of Vox as the editor, and you know we all admire her journalistic uh, skills and, and her passion for the church and for the Lord. But you do a lot of the work at Vox magazine, and really any of the churches that get Vox are used to getting the emails from you and the phone calls and organizing the delivery and and that sort of stuff. So just tell us a little bit about yourself, Johnny. Uh, You know, where where, where are you from originally? Uh, Well, I grew up in Dublin uh, till I was 13. And then we all... uh sought greener pastures during the sort of 1980s recession like time. Like a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> My mother being Swiss uh, made it a bit easier for us to move to Switzerland. And uh, so that's where I spent my teenage years. Uh, and then I uh, went traveling on the high seas with the OM ships, uh, the Dulos, yeah. and uh, spent five years there, fantastic years, before uh, marrying a Singaporean. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, married in Singapore, stayed there for a year, and then returned to Ireland about 16 years ago. Okay, and uh, what family you have here now? So my wife and uh, three wonderful angelic boys. <laughs> now, with your wife being from Singapore, does that mean you get back occasionally to, to visit the in-laws? We do indeed, yeah. Uh, her family are there, and uh, we love coming back every few years to escape the winter here and go south to a very tropical climate. Yeah. It was a fantastic experience. I'm I'm jealous. I mean, I've I've been to Singapore once. Absolutely beautiful place. The street food, 
out of this world. So to get, you get to go there regularly. Absolutely, yes. And we try and eat uh, three meals a day in different uh, stalls there and uh, just consume as much as we can in the short space of time that we're there. Okay, we better move on before the rumbling of my stomach plays havoc <laughs> with, the, with the sound uh, levels here. But uh, how did you get involved with Vox in the first place? So um, after moving to Ireland, we, um, we were five years with OM Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Mullins, who was then the leader of OM Ireland, uh, had this idea and this dream uh, very early on to launch a Christian magazine uh, in Ireland. Um, and back then it didn't quite happen. Time wasn't right. But uh, then about 2008 and 2007, uh, the pieces of the jigsaw started to sort of fall into place um, and we just felt that the time was right now to, to launch this platform. Okay. Um, and you're part of a local church here in Ireland, of course. Yeah, Dublin Vineyard uh, Church. Great, because right. I really believe involvement in a local church is sort of the, the anchor for all Absolutely. the other ministry stuff Absolutely. that we all do, isn't it? Now, working with Vox Magazine, what have been your highlights? What have been the things that you've particularly found fulfilling with Vox? I love seeing a a project and a dream that uh, is at one time just colourful Excel spreadsheets that never come true actually (laughs) and and, you know bullet points and ideas and to try and bring that all together and make it uh, something really practical and tangible and uh, to make it work. Uh, so I am a, a practical person, mm-hmm. um, so I love uh, helping people uh, bring ideas and, and make it work. Um, so just launching like the first issue was a huge highlight because it had been sort of years of dreaming and uh, then about uh, nine months of very hard work lining everything up and figuring out how it could uh, uh, get print to paper and get this out uh, to churches up and down the, the island. So that was really exciting. Then it, it, it uh, maybe didn't go off with fireworks and, and huge demand as we thought. So over the course of the few years, the first few years, we had to uh, re-look uh, at our business model and figure out how we can make this work. Ireland being a, you know, not a huge population yeah. and the Christian community that bit smaller. Um, so it was always going to be a challenge, but... Uh, trying to face that challenge head on and as a community make this work uh, was really exciting and then you know content wise every time there's whether it's it's very personal stories that just talk of somebody's uh, day-to-day experience with God uh, being God's person in their community that we all identify with and really challenge us and make us think okay if Padra can do that Onya can do that maybe I can do that and then on the other end of the spectrum looking at some huge issues that are very challenging uh, for us as a, as a Christian community, trying to figure out um, what voices can we listen to and to try and sometimes cover a range of perspectives, even though some of us grew up maybe thinking there's only one way of looking at this <laughs> and there's only one possible answer to this question. And then to realize, hold on a second, there's, there's people who love Jesus, who are so committed to him and who have a very different perspective than I do. 
And uh, so for me, I really enjoyed listening to those uh, and not, you know, switching anybody off mm. and assuming that that isn't a valid perspective, um, but just being open and being willing to, to change. Um, yeah, that's been really, really encouraging. Just for me personally, uh, as I work through all the pieces and, and, and make them, try and make them look nice on the page. But as you're doing that, you're also being inspired and changed and challenged. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, one of the things I like about Vox magazine is that it makes you think. It's not, it doesn't play safe or comfortable. I think yes. that's great. And, and and yet you talk about making it appear on the page because I've noticed that you're, you're very good with graphics. And, I, you know, I, I've seen you take great photos just going out on the street with your iPhone and doing it. And, uh, of course, we did collaborate on a project before when you, you did the cover for the birth equality book that yes. EAI produced as well. That's right. uh, but there's a, there's a great satisfaction, isn't there, when you've had this concept in your mind and then you see the finished product in, in front of you. I mean, it, that, that's a great feeling, isn't it? It is, it is. Uh, I love to, as soon as the, the delivery arrives each time and the smell enters uh, our office <laughs> or home, wherever the distribution is happening, and just to flick through it and just... It's sort of, it's done, it's on paper. Uh, there may be a few typos in there, <laughs> even though we have a fantastic proofreader. <laughs> but still, just to see uh, an issue come together each time after a lot of, of sweat and hard work from Ruth and myself and many of our wonderful uh, contributors is really uh, satisfying. Okay. Now, now, tell me this. How is Vox funded? Because, you know, we, we get this gl quality, glossy magazine we get boxes of it delivered to churches and, you know, donations are welcomed from the churches, but there isn't a charge per copy as, as, mm. as, as so per se. So how is Vox funded? Well, in the, the early days, we, we, uh, we did have a cover price on it and it was sold in, in Eason's and all good bookshops uh, and through churches. Um, but we, we realized that uh, circulation is going to stay very small if this mm. is the only way we're getting it out. Um, and not all Christians think that uh, one should pay for something that <laughs> is of value. Well, because the gospel is free, we want everything else <laughs> to be free. <laughs> we tried to ask our printer that, uh, but uh, he, he still wanted to charge us. <laughs> For printing, we we tried a few different ideas, and then probably five or six years ago, we tried to wrestle with the idea as a team: could we wipe the cover price altogether and have it free? We knew that circulation would be much easier to get it out and distributed um, that way. Um, but then, of course, does it affect people's perception of the magazine? Is it like those free magazines you pick up in the health shop, you know, with uh, loads of advertising and, and uh, advertorials? So we wanted to make it clear that this is a, a, a magazine that has value, uh, has really um, content that is really worthwhile, but that we want to make it as available as possible uh, to as many people as possible. That paid off, and uh, we 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 kept with that model, and uh, it's made things a lot easier uh, and administratively simpler mm -hmm. just to get it out. And so then, of course, we still need to pay that printer. So um, advertising covers about half of our general costs, including the printing, and then the other half we have to fundraise. Yeah. Um, so there are many different ways we do that. Uh, subscribers who subscribe to the magazine uh, can top up their subscription, throw a few bob in. That helps. 
And then uh, once a year, we approach all the churches who get books and we just, uh, you know, give them a, a bit of an idea of how much it costs to produce the magazine and to distribute it, mm-hmm. even though we're all volunteers. So Ruth and I uh, don't get paid. Uh, each of us have our own uh, sort of financial support base who put bread on our tables and make it possible for us to, to produce Vox. Um, but the, the magazine itself costs to, to print and to distribute around the island. And so uh, churches have that opportunity to give something towards uh, those costs. Uh, it's not a must. Uh, we're happy to, to pass the magazine on, on to churches who can't, don't feel they're able to, to give. Um, but we do really want to encourage them to help fund uh, this platform that we, we really do see as having value for the church in Ireland, uh, value in seeing what's happening outside the walls of our little community, our church, um, and uh, engaging with themes that are maybe beyond what we normally uh, engage with on a day-to-day basis. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's not always a fun thing to do, to make those phone calls, yeah. as you know, Nick. And none of us, we don't like <laughs> asking for money. No, you know. no. Um, but it, it has to be done, and uh, yeah, we've churches have been very generous uh, towards Vox uh, over the years since we made the switch. And I suppose maybe see it as a, a ministry, which it really is not a business. And uh, so we're really grateful that every year we've managed to, to cover all our costs. And so autumn is usually the time we do this every year, and uh, that's what we're uh, doing at the moment. Yeah. I mean, it is a ministry. It's a labor of love. I mean, you, you know, you're not getting paid. Ruth's not getting paid. You're, no. you're putting your time into this mm. because this is something you believe in. Yes. I, I, it gives me great satisfaction doing it. And we don't always know what happens to the magazines. You know, it'd be lovely to get an influx of emails uh, after every issue telling us, you know, the impact on an individual or a small yeah. group or a church. And maybe as Irish people, we're not uh, into heaping encouragement on, on people as, as maybe some other cultures would be. Um, but we do. We trust that God is using uh, the magazine uh, to make small and big changes in, in lives around the island. And, and that's why we do it. Yeah. I know when we get it here at the Solid Rock Church in Drogheda, you know, we... Uh, we, we give it out in the Sunday service, so we, we always, in the middle of that service, have the ushers going around giving, giving people their copies of Vox. It, it always creates a good vibe and a good, good stir, and, and uh, people do comment on the articles and such like. And, and I don't think we've ever contacted you or Ruth to tell you that. So, <laughs> so uh, perhaps we're typical of, of many others. No, good. appreciate that. Thanks, Nick. Now, I, I, there's going to be people listening to this podcast who don't get Vox at the moment mm. maybe the, their church doesn't get Vox and they don't get it personally mm. so if they wanted to get Vox would they would they go to the website would that be their first port of yeah, call absolutely so vox.ie uh, that, that's easy to remember absolutely V-O-X <laughs> um, and yeah there's options to subscribe there so even though it's free obviously some people live uh, maybe uh, a bit away from a point where they can pick up Vox for free so we just charge you the postage to get it to you yeah. um, and then if there are churches who would love to get it we would be delighted to send you a bundle whether it's 5, 10 uh, 50 or 100 um, and a display box so it can sit there in your church hopefully not gathering dust um, but getting into people's hands and they can just pick it up uh, on their way out of church 
and uh, so yeah please do let us know contact us through the website and we would be delighted to get it out to as many hands as possible and if if uh, there are p- individuals ministries businesses that want to advertise with vox again they can contact you through the website yes absolutely i think we are the the number one uh, certainly print platform to uh, reach christians around ireland uh, whether it's an event uh, or a business uh, or a charity that you'd like to promote, uh, we would be delighted to hear from you. Fantastic. Uh, look, Johnny, I could, I could talk with you all day, uh, but uh, we are limited on our time here. So, look, th- thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today and, and talking, uh, helping us to get to know you a bit better mm-hmm. and talking about Vox Magazine. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Nick. Really appreciate it. Once again, I have David Turner with me from Church and Chains. David, we've been talking about different countries each week. Um, to me, it's particularly poignant when we are talking about countries, which of course are biblical countries we read about yes, in the indeed. Bible. And today we're talking about Egypt. Yes, yes indeed. And, you know, Egypt, we remember so much from uh, the scriptures about Egypt. We remember how Moses, uh, we remember, first of all, I suppose, Joseph, how he became prime minister Mm -hmm. uh, and was such a godly leader and, you know, did good for the people of Egypt. And then we know those familiar words in the scripture. There arose a leader that didn't know Joseph and the experience of God's people changed. And then Moses came along. And uh, in Egypt, if you visit today, you'll find that they are very keen to uh, stress their links with the Lord Jesus because the Lord Jesus was protected in Egypt. Yeah. And of you know, there's, there's a number of sites in Egypt. It's difficult to know uh, how they know precisely where mm-hmm. the baby Lord Jesus uh, was, but uh, they're very proud of that. But, but how ironic that a country that was a, a shelter for Jesus all those years ago should now be a place where Christians, the followers of Jesus, are persecuted and discriminated against. Yes, yes. It's it's an interesting um, situation in Egypt because there's a sub- substantial Christian population. You know, roughly maybe 10% of the population would identify as Christian, most of them belonging to the Coptic Orthodox Church, but a substantial number of Roman Catholics, a substantial number of evangelicals. And uh, their experience uh, under Muslim rule has been varied. To a large extent, they've existed in the shadows in Egypt, but uh, every so often there have been uh, violent attacks against Christians, and especially in the last few years, because uh, you'll remember that Egypt was governed by uh, Prime Minister Morsi, President mm-hmm. Morsi, and then he was overthrown. There were protests yeah. in the streets of Egypt, and the current president, President al-Sisi, um, he, Christians would be seen as being broadly supportive of President al-Sisi. Right. So that has meant that those who are opposed to President al-Sisi sometimes are opposed to Christians as well. So that has been part of the reason for churches being attacked in dreadful terrorist attacks with a large loss of life. But um, all across Egypt, something that, uh, that really affects the church is whether you have a license. In Egypt, that has been a huge problem. Going back decades, if you wanted to build a church or if you wanted to make the most minor repair in your church building, you had to get a permit and it had to be signed by the president. 
So you can imagine, you know, for years, yeah. no permits were issued. For years... Of course not, yeah. Just a few. Now, this has been an issue that I brought up at the Egyptian embassy time after time after mm-hmm. time. And I must give credit to the current Egyptian government because in 2016, they set up a committee and they said, we're going to deal with this issue. So the committee received 3,730 requests, applications from churches that wanted to be legalised. And to give the committee their due, they have met, I think, 10 times now. Yes, 10 times. And at each meeting, they um, allow more churches to be legalised. So we're talking maybe 62 places of worship were allowed the last uh, meeting back in September. And that brings the total to 1,100 and 71 out of the 3,700 churches that have been legalised. The issue sometimes then becomes, will the legalised legalization be recognised by a local community? Mm. And that sometimes is where it falls down. So it's a bit hit and miss. It is, yeah. It depends on the local area, because mm-hmm. sometimes, even though you'd have the, the, the government permit, uh, mobs could attack the place where you want to worship. And often the police come in and at sometimes, I regret to say, the police kind of say, uh, we, we want to preserve peace, which of course is his <laughs> primary uh, duty of police. But they do it by uh, getting the Christians to agree uh, not to use the building for worship for, for a little while. So, you know, even though you have a permit, you're not allowed to use it. And um, so these are the difficulties that need to be overcome in Egypt. And we encourage the Egyptian government to press on with this plan and to implement the legalization so that Christians can worship freely in the country. Amen. Thank you, David. Thank you. That's about it for this episode of the Evangelical Shanaki podcast, and thank you for joining us again. If you individually or your church are not already members of Evangelical Alliance, I would encourage you to join us. We rely on supporters who uh, who basically pray for us and also take out membership, and that enables us to do so many of the things that we are doing. I find in my travels that I speak to people, and again and again, people say things like, you know, we, we love what Evangelical Alliance are doing. Thank you for the way you're speaking out. Thank you for the stand you took on this particular issue. And we're behind you. And then I, then later on, I discover they're not actually members. They're not actually part of us, even though they feel so positively about us. So please do consider translating some of that those positive feelings into membership so that we can keep on moving forward. If you'd like to become a member of Evangelical Alliance Ireland, then go to our website, www.evangelical.com. You will find there how you can join. You can join as individuals, as a couple, as an organization, or as a church. Thank you for standing with us as we continue to move forward and continue to tell people the good things that God is doing in this nation. God bless you.